The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. This week, we are delving into a big debate on the best model for electric cars. Welcome back to the Views Room. I hope, like me, you've had a restful break. And thank you for returning to the podcast from Reuters Breaking Views, where columnists from around the world talk about the big stories of the week. I'm your host, Amy Donlan, coming to you from London. Electric vehicles are a key part of a plan to clean up the environment. But for anyone who's attempted to buy one of these motors, cost is a big factor. In an inflationary environment, pure electric may be prohibitive for many, which explains why car makers like Toyota are sticking with hybrid vehicles. But will this halfway house delay countries' attempts to get to a net zero faster? Pete Sweeney and Anthony Curry tune in from Hong Kong and Melbourne, respectively, to debate the merits of both models. Thanks, Amy. Hello, I'm Katrina Hamlin here in Hong Kong. I'm with Pete Sweeney, who's also in Hong Kong, and Anthony Curry down in Melbourne. And we have been thinking a lot about electric cars, not just pure battery power cars, but also hybrids, which are powered by both batteries and a traditional internal combustion engine. We've been debating the relative merits of these different technologies, and we're not the only ones. Investors in Toyota have been asking the company whether they should be thinking a little bit more carefully about their pure electric vehicle strategy, because they've been extremely focused on hybrids in the past, and regulators around the world are starting to wonder whether they should be more supportive of hybrid technology too. Pete, you've recently written a feature on this. Can you tell us a little bit about your point of view in this debate? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing I wanted to do is, is you know, th there's been such a pylon onto companies like Toyota. At the same time, there's this sort of so much excitement about companies like Tesla, you know, Neo, some of these, these new sexy uh, pure electric vehicle startups. A lot of it is connected very, with some very strong feelings about how the world should prioritize its attack on climate change. And those concerns are, are valid. Um, that said, I do think there are some elements of the attack on hybrids that are very specific to certain countries. A lot of it is tilted heavily towards assumptions in developed wealthy Western economies that have better infrastructure and, and a financial capability to drive these sorts of changes. And there's also just kind of a dated understanding of what's been happening with hybrid technology. I mean, I'm, I'm not a, a car wonk, you know, but just my head started spinning. And as I read into all the different varieties of ways people are attacking this problem, you know, which is to basically create cars that bring down the average miles per gallon or, or energy consumption, you know, fossil fuel consumption specifically that they use. It's it's quite interesting. Some of the some of the, the the political push obviously is 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 based on 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 this green constituency that's swelling. It's also producing a backlash, not just you know there's there's backlash against clean cars in the states. Uh, along with backlash, a lot, a, along a, a lots of other elements of you know the the left wing agenda, um, with which environmentalism unfortunately is associated. Although it's it should be kind of apolitical in my view. Anyway, so they they want to purge the hybrids. Some people um, I know that the British government was considering banning them in a couple of years. Toyota threatened to yank their their manufacturing facility in England if it did so. So. It's quite fraught, but I believe there's there's a case to be made for preserving and not only preserving, but continuing to research and develop hybrid vehicles, not just the purely battery powered ones. Um, but not everybody shares that view. 
It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I've seen some specific car makers having a lot of success with these models, the BYD in China, for example. Anthony, can, can you explain to us in a bit more detail why they also have their detractors? Yeah, I think that I mean, there's a few things. I think look, in general terms, I think hybrids serve a useful bridging function from going from internal combustion engines to purely electric vehicles, right? But the time for that really was back when Toyota started its Prius 20, oh my God, 25 years ago. And they weren't really followed that much, but they had the lead. But the world has moved on since then. We now have vastly increasing resources to build pure electric cars, as long as they're done well. And there is definitely a, a difference in how well certain electric vehicle uh, vehicles operate and how efficient they can be. I see it now mostly as a distraction for a new car market that serves almost entirely wealthy countries, where the real big problem for emissions in emerging markets is going to be in the secondhand car market, which this isn't going to address. And really on research and development, I think you really want as much money as possible going into the thing that is really the, the, the answer for the future, which is going to be purely electric vehicles. So at the moment, I see hybrids as really getting in the way of a faster progression. From a sort of consumer perspective, just getting used to the idea of having to charge your car every day and, you know, all the range anxiety that, that's come along with that in the past. Isn't this like a nice stepping stone for people that are a little bit nervous of, of stepping away from yeah, that? Yeah, it can be it can be a nice stepping stone, but I I I mean I I I'd love to have an electric vehicle. I have range anxiety down here, and also they're exceptionally expensive, and um, there's an exceptionally long waiting list for them. So it's a real problem. But I'm not going to go out and buy a hybrid at the moment for reasons I can get into in a minute. But you know, range anxiety is something that is hugely overblown. It's still a problem, as I just said. I, I have it. And, you know, Australia, we can drive several hundred kilometers in one day to go and see family. But in general. It's not a problem. How many times do you, do you drive your car more, more than 30, 40 kilometers a day? A lot, some people will, but a lot of people don't. The average is, is that or less. Also, the ability to charge your car at home, assuming you can, which is another issue, really does free you up, right? You can just plug it in and leave it. And if, if done properly, if it's connected, if the connections are done properly, you can also use it if you need to or if you want to, to help power some of the electric gear in your home. Uh, thus taking advantage of a circular economy that I think is still a way off, but that's a nice thing to think about going forward. Right? Yes, it could be a stepping stone, but I think those fears are way overblown. And that is in part about education as well and about people realising and knowing that there are actually enough charging stations out there. And they might not be in some countries. I don't know where they all are, down where I am, and I'd love to have an electric vehicle, but education is going to be key to this. I mean, the it depends on the timelines. Different countries have very different situations in terms of their grid development. And that's a key point of the argument. Like, so there was a German professor, I believe, who did a study, uh, some research, um, this very controversial research note, where he concluded that cars running on the German grid, EVs, pure electric vehicles were no more, were not actually cleaner in terms of total emissions than a gasoline car, because obviously any electric charged vehicle, you know, creates emissions through the power grid that drives it. And this set off all these people, you know, and so now there's all these studies arguing basically that, you know, pure electric vehicles, even running on dirty grids, are still cleaner on balance, you know, than petroleum powered vehicles. Um, and that's true most of the time. There are places like Inner Mongolia, Poland, places where 80% of the power grid comes from coal, where that might not be true. I know there was a study showing that in Hawaii, for example, where the grid basically runs on petroleum, you really don't. You, you sort of displace your emissions to the power plant, 
which is nice if you live in the city and you don't have like this. I mean, there's health upsides to it, but um, but I mean, the, the thing is that like it's going to take a long time, in my opinion, for some of these countries, especially the countries that are contributing the bulk of global emissions growth, which are in Asia, you know, to get grids into position to change user uh, driver behavior to get them used to charging things or even able to charge things at home, like to make these these pure electric dream, you know, a reality. It's just going to take a really long time. It's going to take a lot of money. And we've already seen, you know, under economic stress, some countries are going backwards, you know, like China right now is boosting coal output. It's exporting coal power capacity along the Belt and Road. Global emissions keep going up on aggregate despite all of this. So there's, there's two important things. One is the user behavior thing, which I think is actually probably the biggest challenge with a lot of environmental technologies, a lot of new technologies. People think that like, you know, well, we got some first adopters, you know, we got people to use our app or use our drive our Tesla or whatever, and they are representative of the broader market. And all we need to do is wait for the rest of everybody to catch up and that will be inevitable. But that doesn't always work. There are lots of technologies and companies, especially environmental technologies that make perfect sense that just never got taken up, like dry toilets, you know, which have been around for centuries. And people just won't won't use them because they're embarrassed to to explain to guests how to use these toilets and they're a little bit higher maintenance. I mean, I've I've lived in developing economies for a long time. I see, I mean, these attitudes that we take for granted in the West, you know, about like recycling and not use single-use plastic, you know, have not penetrated in a lot of these parts of the world. I went to a dinner party the other day in somebody's house where the person bought all plastic plates, all single-use stuff, you know, set it out for the guests and threw it all in the trash in the end so they didn't have to do the dishes. So I feel like this green consciousness that you'll need that for people to say, okay, I'm going to change my behavior. I'm going to get over my range anxiety and start plugging things into the wall is actually going to take a while. You know, and, and ditto, ditto for the grid. Um, and that just may be because I'm, I'm, I'm a skeptic. Yeah, I mean, I think look, all these things are, are certainly issues to be contended with. But I mean, I would sum up your argument as uh, if I'm going to be pejorative about it, which I will be for the sake of start sparking a nice little argument, is okay. um, basically you're saying what you're advocating is it's already hard. Let's not do too much just yet. Let's wait a bit and make it simple, which actually won't change anything until everything is perfect and in place. And you know the grid. I'm I'm not as worried about the grid for a few reasons. Firstly, um, electric vehicle, pure electric vehicles are um, far more efficient in the way they use electricity. So that is why studies will show that they are in general, in general. I think once you get to a very high proportion of say coal being used in the grid or petroleum, like above eighty percent, then you're starting to think about maybe they're not as efficient, uh, or as, uh, they maybe they produce as many emissions as a regular car. But uh, otherwise, in most Western countries, and even even a lot of emerging market countries. Um, the use of coal is lower than that. So I'm I'm not really concerned about that. Also, I think issues like, say, what's happening in China, where you've got curbs on using electricity in, in the Sichuan province at the moment, will also spark great ideas among those who are trying to produce electric vehicles by saying, let's start producing our own solar panel grids to power our electric batteries. That doesn't mean they're not going to get curbed next time there's a massive heat wave, because every electricity user gets curbed, right? But out of problems, you get opportunities. So I'm not really too concerned about that, although I take your point that the grid can be pretty, pretty grim. And we do have to consider the equity aspects of shunting our emissions out to what may were often poorer parts of uh, of countries. And of course, yes, we still need to upgrade the grid, but that doesn't mean you don't get battery electric vehicles out on the road immediately as, or as quickly as you can. They need to get out more quickly. And again, I go back to the point I made. You, you've got, I think, 85 percent of new cars 
last year were sold in five markets. So all of them, most of them pretty wealthy. North America, China, okay, China's a different market. European Union, Australia, and the UK. That's the market we're targeting for electric vehicles or hybrids. And if you think about the cost of the car, yes, they're more expensive, but they are replacing cars that are old, that have been on the road for a very long time, and will have much better emissions over time and also cost less to maintain. Whereas if you put hybrids on the road now, you're going to end up still with gasoline-powered cars on the road 10, 12 years down the road. Let's not forget, this is hybrids are should be, along with, say, gas-powered fire stations, a very short-term bridging solution. You put them on the road en masse over the next 10 years, you've got another 20 years of petrol-powered cars. And as much as I take your point about some of the cars out there, Pete, a lot of uh, hybrids don't run anywhere near as well on emissions as they're meant to, which is why the European Union's going after them and doesn't like, especially plug-ins. They hate plug-in hybrids now. You guys have addressed a lot of the the drubbings that Pete got on Twitter, which were generally about the environmental questions and the question of what drivers themselves wanted to do. But at Breaking News, our constituency also includes the companies. And so what about the, the poor automakers? Are there you know advantages for them producing hybrids versus electric vehicles at this point? What, what, what should the Toyotas of this world be thinking about now? I mean, the interesting thing here is precisely that, like, you can't just shove electric vehicles down people's throats, especially not in democracies. People, at some day, these companies have to go out and get people to actually buy their cars. And that's the mass market, you know? And that's where the sticking point has been. As we saw in China, like like this huge surge in enthusiasm for electric vehicles was at first initially driven in almost entirely by subsidies. And when the subsidies went away, purchases pancaked. In Europe as well, you had people who were apparently buying hybrids just for the subsidies and then not even bother to plugging them in like they were just really in it which means like a hybrid that's not used as a plug-in is like the worst car you can drive it's super heavy it's got this enormous battery its emissions are terrible but i mean you know the margins the margins on hybrids are generally i mean there's a lot of variety in these these designs margins on hybrids are generally better which is why toyota wants to keep making them keeping in mind that toyota has the best lowest net emissions of any major automobile manufacturer because because of its its hybrid mix. Yeah, I mean, I think the important thing is like, yes, crappy hybrids need to be moved off the roads, but they are still better than conventional vehicles, which are nine out of 10 vehicles sold last year. I mean, so my view is that like anything that cannibalizes from 100% gasoline powered cars is a win, especially if it has a plug-in, you know, that drives the development of the infrastructure. Um, I mean, the lifespan of, a, you know, cars are what, 10, 20 years, depending on the design. Um, the grids are not going to be in full charging grids, and even in the States, are not going to be in place for that. Um, they will be in Norway. You know, that's fine. In Northern Europe, they'll be ready. They're not, I mean, China is trying its hardest to roll this out. It's the world's largest auto market. You know, this is a government, you know, it doesn't have the best green cred, but it does firmly believe in, like, energy independence. You know, which is something the war in Ukraine is kind of reinforced, and they're going as fast as they can, and it's going slowly. People still like buying hybrids, and that's why car makers still want to make them. But they also still like buying pickup trucks that run on gasoline and giant SUVs. Like the, you know, the consumer preferences are. There's a huge part of the market that doesn't care, doesn't consider climate change that important, relative to other things. That is perfectly happy to drive drive an F-150 to work even though they're not farmers and they don't need a pickup truck. There's all sorts of bizarre consumer behavior out there. I just want to make one point. I mean, like the range, the development of the batteries is key, 
but it's there are hybrids where have enough battery to get them to work and back without ever using the petrol engine. They have these hybrids now that basically where the the they've just got an, a, a secondary charging source, which is the petrol engine that charges the battery and does nothing else. Those are cheaper to make, right? They don't have a drivetrain. All it does is like recharge the battery. They deal with range anxiety, um, and they're they're quite popular with consumers. So I think. You know, if you look at the people who buy, you know, where the profits are in the in the pure electric vehicle market, the BEV market or whatever, the Teslas and whatnot, they're going after wealthy people in wealthy neighborhoods. McKinsey did a study that showed that like almost all the charging stations that are set up are set up in, in wealthy neighborhoods. Um, you know, so if you drive a Tesla into the ghetto, you know, you're and run out of battery, you're going to have a problem in a lot of places. Um, I think that'll trickle down, but uh, but in the meantime, like if I'm a car maker like Toyota, I'm very much happy to sell hybrids because there are people who don't want to deal with plugging in their cars, and like there are now hybrids where you don't have to plug anything in at all, in at all, and you can sell it, and they get decent gas mileage. I mean, 50 plus miles per gallon is twice the global average. I mean, that's not bad. That's still progress. I'll, I'll just chime in there. Um, we've got to be careful on the global average here because that average is heavily skewed by, as you were saying earlier, Pete, um, the sale of SUVs, right? So um, a lot of what these hybrids are replacing, um, these are these hybrids are often smaller cars, not always. They're often smaller cars replacing smaller um, internal combustion engines, and the difference between those are not as big by a long shot. Take the SUVs out of the mix, which I haven't done, but you're going to have a much closer result on what emissions are given out by smaller cars. Um, but look, I, I, I'm going to, I'll throw this out there. I, I, I caveat, I think there was something wrong with the car. I drove a hybrid recently and it, it was a new one. It was awful. Um, I do think there was something wrong with it, but anytime you went over 60 kilometers an hour, it shut off the battery. Anytime you did more than drop a hair onto the accelerator, it shut off the battery. The mileage on it was terrible. Um, I, again, I think it wasn't particularly well done, but that's one of my concerns about hybrids again is, it reminds me very much of the Dieselgate scandal, which I think is what the European Union is, is worried about with plug-in hybrids. To your point, Pink, a lot of them aren't getting plugged in. That's mostly by people who are using them as part of their company, uh, their company car, because they're not choosing to get yeah, the car. The they're going out and they're just not plugging them in, right? So, um, so this is there's, there's also a design issue there, which is important to capture, right? Like those plug-in hybrids that they were using in Europe have very short, pure battery range. Right, so you you had to charge them all the time. Like not all batteries are made equal. If you have a really good battery in a hybrid that gets you 50 kilometers or whatever, or 50 miles, you you don't have that issue. And that's what Chinese the Chinese developers are going for because of the difficulty. You know, a lot of people don't live in houses where you can easily charge a car. They don't have a parking lot. Yeah, neighborhood that, I lived in that's, China. And those there's, are going to be there's no, the, the, no, those no are going to be it. the the big problems that, that getting people to charge if they can't do it at home and that's that's something that that you know we've got to do a lot of thinking about um but look, just thinking more about about car companies there's this thing which we've written about in the past called rights law which is basically says that the more you produce technology the, the more prices come down and i think it's i think i'm going to cite this correctly um that battery costs have come down 30 percent for each doubling of production so um you're going to find yes i mean tesla's whole point they were Elon Musk, for all of his many flaws, made this point very early on. We are going to make a really expensive sports car to be able to make a really expensive sedan to then be able to make a cheaper sedan. And they haven't got down to the cheapest sedan they could make yet. That is a problem. But over time, whether that's three, five, ten years, that's going to come down. Um, so I don't, I don't see 
pricing as an issue, I think range anxiety will gradually go away. And I think you know, it will it will be about education to make sure that people know how they can plug in and where they can plug in their electric vehicles. I see some small uh, case for hybrids, but in the new car market, you know, I wish hybrids ex- were existed en masse 15 years ago so that they were now in the secondhand car market. It would make life a lot easier. But it's the new car market we're worrying about, and the new car market needs new, needs very few hybrids and lots of electric vehicles. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope you're right. I mean, I just have my skepticism about human nature and the the how much traction you get with education. I've seen a lot of like reversals in my own country where issues, you know, that we thought had been safely put to bed and attitudes we thought had been dismissed to the distant past have snapped back. I'm, my concern is simply that there will be a backlash. You know, since this technology requires tax spending, you know, requires policy support. In democracies, it requires voter support. And if the conversion to pure battery electric vehicles is associated with, you know, I put this a piece, if it means your, your car gets more expensive on average, you know, you're, you have more chores around the car that you have to deal with, you know, and your tax bill goes up. And then, you know, you go to the charging station and there's a huge line because there's not enough chargers um, or there's not one in your neighborhood. You know, this whole push done prematurely will cause a deep backlash on the consumer and voter front that could put the whole project at risk. And that's my concern. I I hope it's not valid, um, but I'm seeing backlash in other areas. I mean, there's already been, you know, on on the right wing, which exists. I mean, there are a lot of these conservative voters who are now associating, you know, the environmental movement with this giant pain in the ass. Like, it's just going to be more expensive and it's going to be more work. And we don't care, you know, but that's, we've got other problems and that's, that's the challenge. And that's just a lot to educate away in the short term, I would say. All right. Well, I think you guys have been brilliant at taking us through the two sides of the argument and we're just going to have to come back to this and see how it all plays out. So I look forward to speaking to you again next time. Thank Thanks, you. Katrina. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Thomas Shum in Hong Kong. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on Acast, Megaphone, or wherever you like to listen. Check out our latest views on these stories and many others on Breaking Views or on Twitter, where our handle is at Breaking Views.